Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What an amazing episode with Nathaniel Shotkin. Uh, we talked about conscious leadership and his growing up in Iowa at like the eye of the of the storm of transcendental meditation. I did not know this about Nathaniel. I mean, Nathaniel is a black belt. He is a just an athlete of of learning. He's a scholar. I mean, this guy is just the, the definition of a Renaissance man. But we talk about so much. And one of the coolest things we go into is is really around what people need to do to change, to, to level up as leaders. And, and the coolest part of the whole conversation is what we dove deep into his work around plant medicine and how he's leveraging that to create better leaders in the world. So even if you're not into that thing, I highly recommend you take a listen. Super excited for this episode. Stay tuned. Guys, welcome to today's episode of The Greatest Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. And boy, do we have a special guest. My good friend, Nathaniel Shockin is in the house. What's up, Nathaniel? Hello, my friend. So happy to be oh, here with you again. I know, man. It's been it's been too long since we've gotten to spend time. It's been a few months since I've seen you, but but it's been too long since we've spent time on the show. Um, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping, then we'll get started? Let's do it. So, uh, for listeners who are new to the show, the, the greatness machine. We're about two things. We're about people living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And Nathaniel is neither short of passion nor greatness. He's actually a former uh, uh, guest of the show. Uh, so we had a great, great show. Uh, it was probably 18, 24 months ago. I don't even remember when it was. It was a while Just ago. Just about two years. Yeah, I went back and listened to it. It was great. Yeah, it was it was an amazing episode. Two years ago, we, we connected. I think it was during my book launch, which it's almost two. It'll be two years next week. And had a great, great episode talking about conscious leadership and and how people need to level up and how they can really level up in their life and in their business through through some of the practices that, that Nathaniel teaches. Um, and... Um, 
fun, so many fun times, but so much has changed in the last two years. The world's changed. Uh, I've changed, you've changed. And so here we are back again. Um, you know, I'd love to give a little bit of your, of our background and how we know each other for listeners who, who have not heard our previous episode. Um, does that work for you, Nathaniel? If yeah. I go there really quickly. And there's some good stories there too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Nathaniel and I, we met, um, he and I actually come from, uh, we were both out of the Stegen program. Um, I was in Stegen. I did Stegen, uh, which is the integral leadership program in 2019 and 2020. And uh, you were actually, you did work there. You were a coach there. We did not run into each other there, but we both have some roots, which this is a conscious leadership program based out of Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. A good friend of mine, Marco Gargenta, who runs a company called Plus Plus, uh, told us about his this amazing coach he's working with, Nathaniel Chalkin, who, and I didn't know that you'd come out of Stegen at that point. And we, we did a CEO forum retreat at Esalon in Big Sur. And for people that don't know what Esalon is, it's kind of this like sacred place uh, on the ocean overlooking uh, you know, the Pacific Ocean. I think the, the final scene of Mad Men takes place where yeah, that's right. Don Don Draper at Esalon finding um, himself. Yes, finally. yeah, fi exactly. It's it's like this place where you. That's go a to good metaphor. Through. Actually, I think we're gonna get some use out of that later. <laughs> and so, so we so we met at Esalon actually at a picnic table. Yeah, Marco actually years. just to interrupt really quickly. Marco said, um, "I want to introduce you to my forum. How about September 13th? I'm like, that's the one weekend I can't because I'm co-leading an event at Esalen. And he's like, what event at Esalen? I said, co uh, evolving masculinity. And he's like, we all just signed up for that event. No way. I did not know that. So, okay. So, so first of all, I did not know that. Okay. Uh, listeners, I want to back up for a second. So I'm in a CEO <laughs> forum. I've been in, I've been in the CEO forum. No joke. Since 2006, 16 years I've been in this forum. So it's, it's me and seven other CEOs and we, we meet, I live in Texas. So I fly to California for events. We meet, you know, monthly, either virtually or in person a few times a year we meet in person. And so in September 19, we planned a retreat at Esalon for this. I mean, it's going to sound a little, you know, uh, weird for people that maybe are not in touch with their masculine side, but the, the, it was the future of masculinity, which on paper sounds like a little, you know, a little hippie ish. I was like, all right, I'm up for it. Whatever. You know, we'll see, mm -hmm. we'll see how it goes. And, and, but it's at Asalon, which is, has a kind of a hippie vibe. And, um, and, and so it turns out that I did not know this, that Nathaniel, you were teaching. I, mean, I obviously found that out when we were there, you were teaching the event. We were going to the event, not knowing you were teaching at the event. And then it turns out that you're teaching the event that we're already planning on going to. Synchronicity. Wow. Okay. And now what does that have to say about what you and I are here to talk about today? Because what did we do there? We kind of gathered in advance of the workshop and we're like, what is happening here, guys? You are a forum who has stayed together over the long term because you've involved your personal lives and your families in your forum relationships. Some of you, like Darius, are bringing it into your businesses. And wait a minute, is there a third element here? Is there some plant medicine maybe involved sometimes? Oh, oh my God, are we going to plant medicine? Yes, we are going to plant medicine. So, so, so what does that have to do with the future of human development and what it means to be in a closely knit group, having a deep dive experience at somewhere like Esalen or somewhere at the top of the mountain? <laughs> Yeah. And, 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 and yeah. And so, 
Nathaniel, you're jumping the gun, man. I was going to set that all up. Um, <laughs> uh, Nathaniel, I love you, man. Uh, so we meet at Asalon, and and we we do this really intense weekend, and 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 we end up doing a bunch of shadow work. Uh, you're you're a you know you work with you do pyron katie's the work so we did some of that mm-hmm. we did some wrestling which was mm-hmm. pretty cool but yeah we went deep that weekend and i got to know you know you, you as well as one can in, in in a deep weekend and um and from there you know it's been it's been an interesting relationship i ended up finishing stegen um you have a business called palestra uh leadership which is where you're teaching you're working with businesses entrepreneurs uh really helping them level up um, and so you end up working with an organization, uh, Paragon, who a bunch of my friends over there, and mm-hmm. uh, we ended up doing some work together where you presented at GOT at Gathering of Titans this year, where I was the chair. So we've gotten over the last two years to spend some time together, getting to know one another, whether it be at Esalon or at MIT. And and uh, today we're here to talk about a bunch of amazing things, most notably about your new project, Awakening Leadership. So I'm super pumped to talk about that, as well as to really touch on some of the stuff you're doing with at Palystra and 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 wherever the rabbit hole may take us, because as I as, as I can only imagine, Nathaniel, the rabbit hole is deep and windy with you. It is <laughs> so deep. Uh, yes, yeah. So so yeah, man. Like lo- I'd love for you to maybe start off by g- giving the, the listeners a little bit of origin story on you know how did you go end up in this conscious leadership realm, working with leaders, really working in this deeper level, doing the work around awakening leadership. But yeah, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of background. Yeah, of course. Happy to do it and happy to be here again with you, Darius. Uh, So origin story bullet points would be to say uh, my wife and I, Elizabeth, were raised in Fairfield, Iowa with Transcendental Meditation. So the school was actually based around consciousness-based education. So we had meditation uh, as part of our schooling. We had principles of Eastern spirituality that had all to do with what leaders may know of as leadership development, but also the goal of meditation, which is development of higher states of consciousness or expanded states of consciousness. And I think another good analog, we have a mutual friend, Tony Lelios, who was in a documentary years ago that I got to go to the debut of here in Santa Barbara at the film festival called Crossing Bhutan. And it was a perfect metaphor for what um, the community I was raised in calls 200% of life spiritual and material, consciousness and capitalism. So crossing Bhutan kind of took that theme on in the sense that uh, Bhutan is a country that measures gross domestic product like everywhere else, and they measure gross domestic happiness. So I think the reason that's such a perfect metaphor is that's how I was raised, that the material value of life can eclipse what's really meaningful and important you know, the qualitative side of life. So that was there very early on for me. Can I, can I ask a question? So I, I, I've just, you know, I've, I've, I've been in, I got interested in meditation through Doug Irwin, who's another uh, former Mm -hmm. of mine. And we actually just had a a TM, a transcendental meditation practice practitioner, like come and speak to our group. Um, So that was founded in Iowa. Is that correct? Is that what you just said? Well, the founder is Maharshi Mahesh Yogi, who is right. famous for teaching the Beatles, who basically right. inspired my parents and everyone else to want to learn how to meditate. And actually, Esalen is thought of as the birthplace of the human potential movement, which means Eastern spirituality was meeting Western psychology in some sense for the first time. So Maharshi was part of that era in the 50s and 60s that 
we think of as um, kind of blossoming in uh, human consciousness, that there was an increased awareness about, you know, human rights and uh, ecology and um, what it meant for people to have spiritual practices that were uh, gathering uh, principles from across multiple cultures. So really that's where it all began. He was based for, in India and then the university um, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi founded in Iowa was in the center of the country. Actually, it was in Santa Barbara at first and uh, they bought a university called Parsons in the late 70s for about a million dollars. And so we got relocated to the center of the country. Um, I might otherwise have grown up in Santa Barbara. No way. So, so which is where I live now, of course. <laughs> right, right, right. Perhaps no, I mean, to make no, up for it. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, all right, we're in Santa Barbara, beautiful place. It's the university that we're going to make this the the central university for TM in the United States. And then they're like, no, nah, let's go to Iowa. Like, like, yeah. who made that decision? <laughs> was this all about? Was it about money or was it probably about probably the like, CFO because the price was right on that whole university? So. <laughs> Now, now, yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, I went to, I went to college at UC Santa Barbara. I graduated from UC Santa Barbara and I had this moment. I talked about this on a show a couple weeks ago where it, where I was at a party. So it, do you know, you, you know, UCS, UCSB at all? A little bit. I know Isla Vista. Okay, there, yeah. So Isla Vista is where all the students live. So, so for, it's basically like college ghetto. It's just like a bunch of kids. There's thousands and thousands of kids living in like two mm-hmm. square miles. And, and, and the, 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 there's a street called Del Playa, which is literally like one side of its mountain facing and one side of its ocean facing the one that's mountain facing the backyard is the Pacific ocean. And mm-hmm. so I went to a part uh, and I say all this because for listeners that don't know Santa Barbara, you, you're, it'll help you appreciate the move from Santa Barbara to, to Iowa a little mm-hmm. more. I went to a party there once when I was 21 years old and we're in the backyard and the, and literally like overlooking the Pacific ocean. And mm-hmm. I remember saying to somebody, I said, where do you go from here? <laughs> like, <laughs> like Iowa, you're 21. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so, so were your, so your parents, um, they went to Iowa specifically for like, how, why did they choose? Because were they involved in the university? Like, why did they choose? Yeah. That? They wanted us to be raised in a community that had meditation built into it and consciousness based education. And, oriented around a lot of the values that they cherished. You know, there's organic food and quality time at home balanced with academics and college prep. So it was a private school still. So it was kind of buttoned up in that way. We wore uniforms, but still was spiritually integrated. And um, I also got into Aikido as a kid at 13. So that was my, well, we all did karate in the eighties. So there was that briefly, but Aikido is a martial art, which is a spiritually minded martial art. It's about nonviolent conflict resolution and harmonizing with the energy of an attack. So that was very aligned with my mindset growing up in terms of spirituality and spiritual integration and um, also self-inquiry. You know, the enemy is within and all of that. And so that's where it began. I ultimately lived in the dojo for Aikido for almost two years, um, had a bit of a burnout, disillusion experience there. And surprise, surprise, once I internalized my own sense of authority, I actually crossed the aisle from east to west, from the traditional martial arts to the modern combat sports, where I started getting into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts and kickboxing and wrestling and all of that. Um, Wrecked my body doing that. Um, Was also doing a 
master's degree in integral psychology and professional coaching at Johns Hopkins University in the Bay Area. This was all in the Bay Area at the time. Um, had Bert Parley, Dr. Bert Parley, as my mentor coach. He's a senior advisor and executive coach at Stegen. So fast forwarding everything, he kind of, we had the first integral theory conference in 2008. And at the panel they had for coaching, they announced that they had one executive coaching position. And I kind of went to Bert afterwards. I'm like, what do you think? What are my chances? And he's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> Your whole background is tailor-made for Stegen. It's conscious yeah. capitalism. It's elite athletics and martial arts and it's integral theory. Whole systems change, transformation, hero's journey. So that was a very important moment in my life. And I, I went from coaching kind of mid-level managers and teaching martial arts lessons and leading workshops. Oh, and substitute teaching uh, to coaching CEOs. And uh, I say I just coach big kids now instead of the ones I would substitute teach in, in uh, middle school and high school. So that was a big transformation what? in my life there. I want to take a step back and then we'll, I want to jump to the, the move at Stegen. So, so I, I often tell people, I go, man, you know, and I, and I didn't know this about you. It's, I said like, you know, nobody teaches their kids that they should be mindful. And I'm, I'm actually wrong. Your parents did. Like, this is something like you're the first person I've ever met who was brought up in an environment where that was part of the, the upbringing. So you're, so when you went to the school in Iowa, this private school, how many kids were in that school? Because we were the kids of boomers, that's when there were a lot more kids in the school. There could have been a thousand. It still wasn't a big school. So my graduating class had about 40 or 45 people. So and still so, and pretty this small. Like, but was it K through college or K through 12? Like how? All the way through PhD. So they had the university as well, which is where I did my undergrad. Wow. Okay. So, so the kindergarten all the way through graduate school based around this idea of conscious consciousness and transcendental meditation, this is like the, the foundation and, of this yeah. university and, 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 uh, pre-college school. Yeah. And so yeah. what, so do you remember, like, how old were you when you first learned how to meditate? Do you remember? <laughs> well, my mother would say I was meditating in the womb. So that <laughs> was kind of hardwired, but technically you learn an eyes open walking meditation when you're four. And you technically would learn a seated meditation, eyes closed, when you're 10. I believe those of us who grew up there learned when we were nine. Um, and that is what's very much different about uh, a culture that's not just oriented to the material world and to outward success or achievement, but again, is balancing that with the cultivation of a sense of self and that knowing that that path is the path of spiritual awakening that can answer all of the big questions about who am I and why are we here? What are we doing here? Where are we going? Is there any meaning to any of this at all? Are we on a hero's journey? Or does it matter in the end if we die? So there's very big questions that most people keep their head down in their material lives. And maybe they grow a fantastic business and sell it. And then what happens? They wonder what the meaning of all of it was. Yeah. So they tend no. to start asking those questions later. Well, you know, it's funny. It's funny. So I was brought up in a, in a family that was anti-religious. My mm -hmm. father was brought up Muslim is from in, in Iran. And my mother was brought, brought up in like a steel mill town in Pennsylvania where everyone was Catholic mm -hmm. for the most part. And so they were anti-religious completely. There was no, there was zero religion in my home. 
like literally zero. And so I did not like, I had a lot of friends who were brought up Christian and, and, and they were always trying to like, like mission me to like join the church. And I, and I just remember not really having kind of an, a, a, I guess for about, lack of better words, an aversion towards it. Cause my parents were against it. Um, mm-hmm. And, 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 and I remember just having this, this belief that, Oh, you know, I believe in God, but there was probably moments where I didn't believe in God, but, but where I, I didn't really question the fact that there was no spirituality or religion in my family. Like that was nothing. There was no mindfulness. I didn't, I, I learned how to meditate when I was 40 you know, um, and through like strife, right. Through pain where I was like, Oh, I got to do something about this. So, so I want to, I want to, um, well, one thing that's really interesting. If I can just add one thing there is it's important to understand about TM or meditation, mindfulness. We had whatever religion we wanted to have growing up in Fairfield and meditation was just a supplement that allowed us to deepen our own internal experience. So people like I was raised Jewish, and bar mitzvah and everything else and other people went to church or no church that's so it's funny even the fact that you you qualified what you just did like my perspective like as an adult now and i i want to get into this in later mm-hmm. um is and i told you this before we got on the air i said look i've had my i had a i had a godly experience and I, and so meditation has been a tool for me to like connect with the higher power Right. This is, and, and I never, this is coming from someone who has never prayed in his life. This is coming from someone that believes in a higher spirituality in God, but has never done anything with it. And, and, but I've now I'm starting to equate that this is a way to connect to a higher power, I guess. And, and I, and I, it doesn't sound like that's how it was brought up to you is brought to you more as connecting with yourself. And then you could leverage these a religious dogma, I guess, to, to, to have a, I guess a, a version of that connection. Is that, am I thinking of that the right way? Yeah. I think what's really important to understand about spiritual practice or religion is that you have the understanding or the belief, and then you have the experience. And what I like to say about this is science and religion or science and spirituality in a sense, if they don't have that element of direct experience, It is two sides of the same coin. Religious fundamentalists believe in something. Scientists believe in nothing, but no one knows. So we're going to go back to some very ancient terms, like the Greeks used the term gnosis, which is where we get the term Gnostic. It has to do with mysticism. That word doesn't mean it's mysterious, although there is a great mystery. But the point is, is that you can know yourself. That's what it said outside the Oracle at Delphi. Know yourself. What does that mean? Like direct experience. You can know through direct experience. Then you don't have to believe in something or believe in nothing. Mm, Interesting. So I want to, I'm so excited to go here with you, but I I want to move in a somewhat linear path. (laughs) Uh, Because I, I feel like, you having a me me learning about this, I, I for whatever reason I knew you were from Iowa. I never realized that was why you you grew up in Iowa um, until you just said it on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you end up at Stegen, which again anyone out there that it, that wants to learn Stegen's a very amazing program. It's a conscious leadership program. You were a t- to 
to your mentor instructor's point, like tailor made for Stegen, it's an athletic based martial art based practice based conscious capitalist leadership program where some of the top leaders in the country go to, um, to really learn how to build a better organization. And, you know, as we say in Stegen, you know, with the leadership goes the organization, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I I always, I always butcher that a little bit, but, um, but tell us about that. So you, so you started working, you went from working with kids and working in the dojo. And I know you still do a lot of stuff in the dojo to working with CEOs. What was that like to make that transition for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I think initially I was hired there and I call it putting on my white belt again, because then you're the rookie and they they need to test you out. Like how high level of CEO can you coach? Because we know that it's a serious thing to hold a room of executives uh, especially in a strategic planning session, for example, and not just a leadership development when the stakes are lower. So I slowly cut my teeth. They kind of let me coach EO people and YPOers, and then they let me lead retreats, um, form retreats and chapter level, president level retreats, doing the work with people. So I kind of had that inbuilt superpower, both as someone who could do deep transformational work and the selling point in my personal brand was that I was a black belt martial artist who could kick your butt. Um, so uh, there was some level of respect that was garnered to me um, in terms of the mastery path and what I'd committed to and myself as a leader and how I'd been trained. So that's, um, you know, it was, I would say, challenging at first. And I also felt like I was actually further ahead than I thought coming in. And um, what's great about the Integral Leadership Program is it's, it is practice-based. So the metaphor of the dojo really was a fit, as Jocko Willink will talk about too. Leadership skills are like jujitsu techniques. You get better when you practice them. And you get better when you practice them, especially when you get live feedback, when there's something on the line, when you're on the mat, mm-hmm. as I like to say. So that's initially what it was like. And at one point, my dojo was actually inside of the office at Stegen, which was kind of part of the fulfillment of my vision to have that community of practice inside of the business and us eating our own cooking and all of that. And that was also the inspiration for me kind of setting out to do my own thing. I also enrolled a six-month program for the work in leadership. So a very deep self-inquiry transformational process. And um, that's always been part of what I love to do is um, you don't get better watching me train. So at at a certain point, I tell my clients, it's like, you're a a consumer of coaching, you're a client, and that's okay. And you need to be the coach who coaches your team. And so the way we help scale leadership development and core values and all of that through companies is through a peer coaching process. But it really does require that the leader go first. And that's... What what um, do you... Yeah. What what do you think? Sorry to interrupt, but but on that note, you know, and, and like I I've now you know since exiting my business, I ended up you know working with entrepreneurs and doing. I think it's really more management consulting and less coaching because I, uh, uh, holding space is not. I'm not you know it's 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 not. I've had enough people say like eh, this is not really coaching what you're doing. You're really like because you're not. Hold, I'm not holding space for them that much. We're, we're like strategizing and just kind of like. And I'm telling them what to do a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Not 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 everybody, but but I'm giving them a lot of feedback from like a strategic perspective, which I think is different than coaching. I think that's more advisory work, um, and at least it's a different form of it. Um, but I find that there's multiple types of leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I, I mean to be I don't mean to characterize 
everyone differently, but you, I, I, I try to not be a jerk about it and say, I got my A students and my C students. Right. But, <laughs> but I got, you know, I have people that, that really, I do think, you know, and I've worked with all sorts of leaders at this point, like dozens. And what I've found, and I was always a CEO. And, and so as a CEO, I, I'm a former athlete. You know, I was a wrestler in college and in high school, I played sports my whole childhood. I'm a super, I'm my number one strength achiever. I'm hardcore, go do it well. I'm, I consider myself fairly coachable. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time outside of my, and it, when you're the CEO in an organization, if someone's not coachable and they report to you or report to someone who reports to you, you fire them. <laughs> like you, at least you, you probably should, if you want what's best for the organization that mm -hmm. now, but as a, as a coach or as a consultant or as an advisor, like you don't have that power. I mean, you can fire a client, I guess, but, 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 you know, what I found was that there's all sorts of leaders out there. My question for you is having you having worked with tons of leaders and you've worked with some really high level leaders. I mean, like, you know, we don't need to go into your, you know, your roster, but I know you've worked with some really high level leaders. Um, what do you find as far as people's, you know, is there like a spectrum of willingness to learn or an open-mindedness around this higher level, this conscious leadership, this higher level of leadership, or is it, what are your thoughts around that? Like what, what do you think separates those that are more willing versus those that are less willing? It's a very interesting question. And not only have I coached high level leaders, I've coached other CEO coaches who run their own coaching practices. And what I can say about that is even people who approach working with me and then choose not to, and why do they choose not to work with me? Uh, I typically will only work with someone if they're willing to do the deep work themselves first as a leader. So in the cases I've skipped past doing that deep work with the leader, I've failed, but only 100% of the time. <laughs> you don't want to get further down the organization and have that CEO like pressure testing you with their team, trying you out, evaluating you. Um, you also don't want to get into a situation where you become codependent, where you're there to, they think you're there to fix their team. As I joked mm. in our last episode, it's like dropping your kids off at the therapist. There's something right. off about that. And so for me, there's something synonymous with a leader's willingness to do the deep work and conscious leadership. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. If you do not have a higher purpose or higher power as a leader, for yourself and for your company. What does that make you? A materialist. Now, the sad part of that is you're going to get the success later, perhaps, but without the fulfillment, it will be fool's gold. You'll sell your company and wonder what it was all for. So a conscious leader is in service to higher purpose, higher power. Again, what if you don't have that? That's also what we call the ego playing God, also known as a dictator. So the first step of conscious leadership is being aware of what unconscious leadership is when you're leading from your ego. If you do not empower your team to freedom of speech, you're not actually running a democratic organization or having a democratic dynamic on your executive team, which means you are, again, the dictator. So the first thing that I'm helping people realize is that um, by their own willingness to pick up the mirror, instead of saying who hired all these idiots, you know, there's something synonymous about self-reflection and leadership itself that has to do with self-leadership. I need to be a check and balance 
because I'm the one that's checking and balancing. I need to have a check and balance because I'm the one who's checking and balancing everything else in this organization. And I can empower my team to do that. Is your team empowered to tell you when you aren't walking the talk, when you aren't living your core values? Maybe. Or what? who wants to be the first one to test out what happens when you tell the boss where his blind spots are? Hmm. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. And let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stopped me from fully enjoying the little things in life, from canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of the sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now. And let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. 
Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So that is what disrupts the dynamic and leads to the kind of Zen basketball team flow, getting to coherence, getting to interdependence, getting to high performance, where the best ideas win and not the biggest egos, where there's a collective intelligence that comes online. And that's what I see with very high performing teams. But as the leader goes, so goes the team. So it's entirely incumbent upon the team, uh, upon the leader to make that clear and to empower that. And what does this have to do with what's going on in the world at large today with threats to democracy, with nationalism, with being so internally divided around all of that? We need, yeah. Do you think that, 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 yeah, like touching on that is, and I mean, you kind of made a comment a second ago around this collective, you know, leadership, right? And I, 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 I don't think you use that word specifically. You said the word collective and then something else. Oh, but, collective intelligence, but yeah, collective you know, intelligence, team coherence so, or team flow. Yeah. Interdependence. Right. So, so, and, and, and so I think that there's something there around this collective intelligence, right. And, and, and if, and I guess to get kind of, for lack of better words, like spiritual on this, you know, what resonance are we talking about? Are we talking about a higher resonance, right? And where the team's, you know, coming from a place of gratitude and love and joy and really trying to elevate and, and, and create value from that higher resonance? Or are we talking about it coming from a lower resonance, and, and which is going to be the fear-based, greed-based, lack of abundance-based, you know, motivations. And I think that when you, when we, I at least believe that there's this kind of massive divide that's happening right now. Um, you have a, a, a renaissance from the perspective of the plant medicine that's happening, you know, that that's having a massive renaissance right now. I think that is really more in, of a reflection of a bigger consciousness that's happening, right? That's just, that's, that's the tool that's being used to help facilitate that. But below that, if we start to look at society, let's use the United States of America, for example, I think that the divide is all low resonance behavior, greed, power, you know, that hungry ghost wanting to, to, to win, right? It's not about the greater good of the entire country. It's about being right. It's about my side winning over your side. And I said, I, I, I made a comment to somebody where I said, all right, so I'm a moderate, by the way, so I'm kind of in the middle politically. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, fine, your side wins. This is not a good country if 39% of the country is pissed. It's just not. 61% stoked and 39% pissed. That's like a civil war, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, like, so that's not a win. It, even if you, so, so what? You're right. A win is where most people feel like we're moving in the same direction. And most being not just 51%, it's probably more like 80% where you got the 20% are never going to be happy, right? So, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on when we start to, to try to operate at this higher intelligence and, and, and how you think we can get there. Because you know, I've talked to Rand about this, Rand Stegen, and, and, his, and his perspective is there's going to be pain before there's prosperity and, and that we're in this really interesting, curious, potentially dangerous time and, and my thought is, is that leadership starts, like, I think the entrepreneurs and leaders in organizations are where are the groundswell that can kind of fix society's problems. Because I don't think it can happen through government. I don't think it can happen through society by themselves. What are your thoughts on that? 
So all of your good work with core values is a very good example. Conscious leadership, all that that means is, again, aligning with a higher purpose and higher power, a reason beyond making a profit that also can help you earn a profit. And that that first step of, okay, I'm willing to be conscious, which means I'm not going to lead from my ego. I'm not going to be the dictator arguing with reality, fighting what happens, fighting with life. There's some sense of core values being a covenant. Like I'm going to build something that has a value beyond just making a profit. And the core values are the things that we align around over, above, and beyond how we transact. And that's where conscious businesses are the best examples of cultures where people go to grow. And why is that so important to orient around core values? Well, how are you reacting otherwise? And what are you contributing to the world? You may as well be a materialist or godless in some way. And that shows up whether you believe in God or not. It doesn't not matter because basically where, where, where that leaves you is in judgment of other people. Like you said, my side is right. Your side is wrong. The fundamental definition of a judgment is like seeing other people's worldview only for its unhealthy characteristics and seeing your own worldview only for its healthy characteristics. So we can't even get aligned around values being things that we all value. And there's a difference between my side being right versus your side and my own actual capacity for independent thought, which means my ability to get into the third person objective perspective and argue both sides. We've lost how to do that to some extent. And this goes all the way back to Plato and the foundation of a republic. The republic depends upon the education of the citizen. So if we don't learn how to think and think about thinking and orient to what we value, then all we're left to do is judge other people and be in that right or wrong fixed mindset mm. kind of space where I'm smart or I'm stupid according to my group instead of looking at what's really true, what works or doesn't work here, apart from what group it belongs to. Think about what happens on the mainstream media. If you say anything that doesn't toe the party line, you get kicked out of the group. Right. And that has nothing to do with the truth. And then, and then it leaves us with a hall of mirrors. The f we're all pointing the finger at each other. Tell it, we even psychologically are more intelligent, which may be the silver lining, because we know what the word gaslighting and projection means. But each right. side is saying the other side is gaslighting them, meaning blaming them for the thing they're guilty of. And it makes you feel crazy it feels like there's no ground to stand on. What is the antidote to that yeah. situation? Yeah. I, I, for me, I it don't is, have an answer. It is self-knowledge. It is getting okay. right with yourself. It is picking up your own core values. And it doesn't matter if you belong to a religion or have a spiritual practice. It doesn't matter what your values are, but it matters that you have them. And it matters that you reflect on them. Because whether you are congruent and aligned as a leader will be the difference between whether you suffer or whether you are free. Meaning when you point the finger, there are these three fingers inconveniently pointing back. So my suffering comes from judging you for what I'm guilty of myself. Mm. And this is the Jungian notion of the shadow.
So if I'm capable in a similar way, morally, not just what's right and wrong, let's argue both sides, get in the, in the third person position and evaluate what's actually true, like we do in martial arts. What does it mean to be a moral person? It means that you need to be able to internalize your own inner sense of self-authority. And when someone says to you, you're off there, search inside yourself. Am I innocent? Is what they're saying incorrect or am I guilty? And my ability to look at my own core values and see where I'm walking the talk or not and whether I'm congruent. Again, if I find my own innocence, having examined myself, looked in the mirror, that's what Gandhi called truth force. I'm congruent. I have integrity. Then I can take to the streets in protest. But if so I, I'm yeah. No, I'm curious. So I'm curious, and I don't know the data on this. I wonder, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I, I wonder how much emotional intelligence comes into play here. Right. And so there is data on that. Yeah. Right. So, 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 so like, I'd I'd be really curious to see if, if you were to rank people's EQ right now, right. Has there been a shift in EQ or maybe let's just say there hasn't been a shift in EQ. I would assume people have a higher EQ now than they, than they did 50 years ago. I, w- I would assume that society is more open-minded in a lot of ways. One could argue against that, but I mean, there's things that exist today that didn't exist 50 years ago from a societal acceptance standpoint, whether you're talking about LGBTQ or civil rights. And there's a lot of stuff that we are willing to ex- like, like entertain that there's never would have been entertained in the 1950s, right? When, when this was a more peaceful country. So I don't think that there's, there, it's, I don't think my grandparents had a higher EQ than I do, right? Like not mm-hmm. at all. So I don't not think, all, that, yeah. but so I think that we have a higher EQ now, probably I'm just guessing, but my question would be, how do we take, how do we, if the, if the answer is to know thyself, mm-hmm. right. Which is what I heard you just say. Yeah. If the answer is for us to be able to self-reflect and to, to, to be honest with ourselves. Yes. How do we, how do we create more of that? Is it through this idea of conscious leadership? And then that it, like, a groundswell of conscious leaders spreading conscious leadership and getting more people to know that, that themselves through the, through the leaders themselves, knowing themselves. What are your thoughts on that? Even if we don't want to use that as a brand and we want to stay with the most fundamental categories that exist in life, leadership itself does mean living your own core values. And again, it, no one has to have traditional values to reflect on themselves, but it matters that they do reflect on their own core values. Whether we call that leadership or conscious leadership or self-development or human development, um, that is what's needed. And it's funny if you go all the way back to the Hebrew word for prayer, it literally, tefillah, it comes from a word that literally means to judge or evaluate oneself as in a court Mm. of law, as in a court of law. So this is back to the point about, can I get on the side of the prosecution and look at myself? And so help me God, like to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God right? to know the difference between my tricky ego and all of its defenses and my tendency to want to deny and blame the other person. And could they be right? Am mm-hmm. I guilty of what I'm judging you for? And if I find where that's true, it's ego death. I'm not the victim 
and you're not the villain anymore. I now owe amends for my own shortcoming. There's a lot of research on psychological safety and trust and what builds trust. And my theory about why making amends for not walking the talk of core values is so important is that that's the kind of thing that allows a conflict or a breakdown to lead to a breakthrough or a deeper level of trust. Cause you see that someone is willing to tell the truth when they're wrong. And that's the, that's the opposite of tyranny of like being infallible and hunting down your political enemies. Hmm. So the, the data also says that basically on the EQ tests they give people for self-awareness, 80% of people say they are self-aware and 20% of people actually are. This oh, lines, so funny. I, this lines I was up perfectly say, with one other data point, which is that <laughs> yeah, 80% of people go to the water cooler and complain about their boss saying that he or she has a blind spot that all of them know about, but none of them talk about. Wow. So it kind of lines up perfectly in that way. So how self-aware are we? And are, and worse than that, if we have a, an ego or a tyrant, running the show inside of us. And we even say things like, yeah, I really want to know what you think, but then we punish people when they do, well, you're going to get the culture you deserve there as well. Wow. I, I literally was like, I bet you it's only 20% that, that know themselves. <laughs> like uh, Maybe that's them. being generous once we get into the world of politics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 2%. Um, man. Um, I want to pivot a little bit because right now, you know, you've been doing the work uh, with your Palestra leadership business in businesses. And, and I feel like there's been this, you know, I mean, we've talked offline about, you know, some of the deeper work you're doing, some of the maybe more exotic work you're doing. And, you know, I know before the show, you talked about how, Hey, you want to, you know, you're going kind of big on this awakening leadership movement slash business. Um, Tell us about this. I mean, I want to hear, I, we've talked a little bit about it when we were in MIT, but I, I'd love for you to kind of educate our listeners about this movement around plant, plant medicine and really integrating that. And, and really when we start talking about the higher intelligence, how, what, why you're interested in this and, and how you think this can be a tool for people to really elevate as leaders and, and for the, themselves as, I guess, humans. Yeah. And I think the MIT um, presentation will be good to draw on from draw from as well to make a kind of positional worldview level statement about what I think is going on, given the problems we just described at the right. root cause. It could be that the psychedelic renaissance is occurring now as part of a kind of spiritual regeneration that is built around direct experience of mystical states of consciousness, expanded states of consciousness that in a materialistic paradigm have gone almost totally missing. So if you think about the meaning crisis that we're in now, um, even if you believe there's, there's something, you may have the doubt underneath because you don't know. So although there is research that talks about much to the chagrin of more atheistic types that people who have religion in their life are happier and more fulfilled and uh, that sort of thing. But when you get to the materialistic level and you look at the data and the mental health crisis, 18% of Americans are clinically depressed. That's wow. about 40 million people, I think, 
and our outcomes have not changed very much. This research on SSRIs has just been kind of overturned as, as if you could just adjust a level of a neurotransmitter in your brain. And that's all it took to be fulfilled and happy in life. And, you know, we're, we're more likely to die from the food we eat than from not enough food. We're more likely to die by suicide than all war and crime. More likely to, to die from old age than from disease. So it's clearly not for lack of being the most materially sophisticated society on the planet. And yet there are these diseases of despair that are so prevalent. And it could be that the psychedelic renaissance is here to help to start to usher in a, a new wave of development of consciousness. And why would that be timely now? Because the back to Plato again, I, I believe we need to evolve the stage of development beyond adulthood because these um, polarities across different camps have become so intractable that it's going to take um, an, a next level of leadership to start to heal those splits and bring us all together. And that's exactly what uh, a leader would do. So all of that to say, my new offering, Awakening Leadership, is a plant medicine retreat in Costa Rica that is actually a forum membership where leaders who are seeking to self-actualize can have a genuine mystical experience. And there's a lot of science on this. Psychedelics are the space where science and spirituality are coming together. And that, again, you don't ever have to believe a word I say. This is being democratized. Like you can know yourself. And, you know, we use the, the red pill video from the Matrix at Stegen year after year. And it's like, well, that's not a metaphor. <laughs> it's a myth that is a metaphor, but it's a metaphor for an inner experience that you can have through plant medicine. And it's been used through thousands of years, not just in indigenous cultures, but into the foundations of our own Western civilization. The ancient Greeks had a nine-day religious festival um, and many mystery cults, but the most popular was called uh, the Eleusinian Mysteries. So people traveled 13 miles northwest from Athens to Eleusis. And this was a state-sanctioned uh, nine-day festival that had at the center of it a psychedelic, what people believed to be a psychedelic potion called the Kukion. And there's research recently that found hard archaeochemical evidence that this was the case. The ancient Greeks were using psychedelics to find God. And this went on What's for almost 2,000 years. So what we... Can, what, yeah. Can I ask a question? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm dying here. What is Kukion? What is it made out of? So this is in the late 70s. Uh, Gor, uh, Gordon Wasson, Karl Rock, and Albert Hoffman, who synthesized LSD, posited a theory in The Road to Eleusis. Um, and for those interested, you can follow Brian Murarescu's work with the Immortality Key, The Secret History of the Religion with No Name. Um, but right at the, at the beginning of the war on drugs, they said that because what we know from ancient texts is that it was barley and mint, and that Albert Hoffman had extracted LSD from a fungus that grows on grain, ergot, they posited that that was likely the active ingredient in the cookie oh. So like an LSD-infused beer, because it was something like the grain had also kind of brewed some kind of beer. No way. 
Yeah, so okay. that is what was going on in ancient Greece, a very non-rational mystical experience that gave rise to what we think of as Western rational logic, mathematics, sports, you know, all of the things that we think of as ra- rational Western society really had their roots in a mystical experience. Wait, wait, wait. So, so p- press the pause button. So if you said this went on for 2000 years, this nine day festival where people essentially drank LSD beer. And this is pre like all the, the modern, you know, sciences that came out of, you know, ancient Greece. You're saying it was alongside was- science. Oh, right. Because when those it came come out, out of, some would say they traveled to the underworld to meet with a goddess who gave them knowledge about mathematics. Whoa. And what is the hard data that they, I mean, Brian's book, I don't want to steal the thunder from that fun journey. It reads like a real life Indiana Jones or Da Vinci code, but basically they, they found evidence that it was ergot in one of these little conthros, these little ceremonial vessels that they would drink from. What's the name of this book? The Immortality Key, the secret oh, history of the religion with no name. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to read this book. Uh, this is like making my book list. Um, so, okay, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. So, so, so you are now, you know, you, you're, you're going down this, this journey with, and I guess let's take a step back. Cause I, I, some listeners might be like, dude, are they talking about doing drugs and mushrooms? Right. Like, and for like, I look, I'm not new to the world of plant medicine and I have friends that have, have really like opened my eyes onto the, the potentially, spiritual effects, the, 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 the emotional effects. I mean, I've seen massive transformations in people that have struggled with a lot of like things in their life. And because of their work in this way, like, I mean, I've watched with my own eyes, people become like, like excessively better human beings, mm-hmm. right? Like in a way where it's a pri- where like it kind of blows your mind a little bit. Yeah. Right. So, so for, for a listener that isn't like as in the know, Talk a little bit about this. Like, obviously, in the 70s, the war on drugs. Oh, LSD is bad. Drugs are bad. Nancy Reagan, just say no. So you and I are, are children of the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. So we, so I believe, I believe I'm a little older than you, but... Uh, uh, I saw uh, the egg frying in the frying pan, and this is your brain on yeah, drugs and all that. Yeah, I was... I, uh, Dad, I learned it from watching you. <laughs> 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 By the way, uh, uh, Nancy Reagan, every ki- kid made fun of that shit. <laughs> right. And then they went and did, dr- did drugs anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, there was a huge war on drugs. And so a lot of this stuff has been poo-pooed, even though there was scientific data saying that, hey, this can help the mentally ill. Hey, this can help stop... Uh, you know, alcohol abuse and, 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 and addiction. And there's, and, and there's a book by Michael Pollan. I think it's like, this is what, what's the name of his book again? That's you know, a, that's exactly where I was going to go as well. It's called how to change your mind. And if you have an open enough mind his even his trip treatment article in the New Yorker was what changed my mind. Cause again, I grew up with meditation and a bit of a meditator's bias around substances and drugs. I still have never smoked a thing short of a peace pipe to this day and didn't drink till I was maybe 23 and, you know, drink seldomly because to a meditator, like your body's the vehicle for experiencing these expanded states of consciousness, which is ironic right? because that's exactly what these psychedelics are doing is allowing you to open the doors of perception. But the, the science behind it is gathering a lot of momentum and Michael Pollan 
covers all of that research in his book. And he's an, somewhat of an experiential writer, as people know. So he goes on the journeys and describes his first person experience, which is the best part of that book. And even better, go to the docu-series. It just came out on Netflix a couple months ago. Yeah. And you can watch four different episodes, one on each different medicine. And I think it's important to say this before we go further. What is a drug? This is what kind of opened my mind about reading his article. A drug masks symptoms and it perpetuates an addiction cycle. It suppresses symptoms. What is a medicine? It's supposed to be what heals at a root cause level. Plant medicine, as you just said, has been shown to heal addiction to drugs. How backwards is it in our materialistic society that what we call medicine are drugs like fentanyl, that's 50 to 100 times uh, stronger than heroin, and plants that grow out of the ground all over the world, like mushrooms and peyote cacti and so on, are called drugs and made illegal. So that, that was the first eye-opener for me, and that some of these, there's almost no recreational use of. You know, you can't recreationally use ayahuasca very well. And... <laughs> And I would argue, hey, wait, hey. <laughs> it's like, hey, uh, what do you what do you want a beer? No, I'm gonna have some ayahuasca and start puking and and, and yeah, totally no. going crazy, right? Like, yeah, don't know what. And, and there are no lethal dosages of mushrooms of marijuana. Of course, there are lethal dosages of all kinds of hard drugs like heroin and even cigarettes. How many people are cigarettes alone still killing every year? So alcohol we, is a good alcohol. Yeah, right. So and, and the, if you go look at the data, the harm to self and other, what is at the top of the list of substances? Probably it's alcohol, like, I would assume. Yeah, it's heroin, meth, alcohol. What's at the very bottom? Mushrooms. Wait, wait. Heroin and meth are above alcohol. Yes. Is that like on a per capita base? It must be per capita because there's way less heroin addicts than there are alcoholics. Well, and, and I don't know the downstream effects of drunk driving if if they factored that. That's or what. Not. You, so yeah, I was going to say like like I've met way more people who have dealt with the side effects of like alcohol abuse than than drug abuse. I'm not to say that one's better than the other, but but I I think that look I can go to the store right now, I can buy a fifth of Jack, and I can buy as much alcohol as I want, and if you wanted to get anything, whether it's plant medicine or a, another drug, it, good luck. It's, it, you know, it's a process, right? Like I've yet to meet someone who wanted drugs that couldn't get them, but it's, it's not, I'm sure it's how I go into the corner store to get some. Right. So, so right. there's definitely, we've created regulation to inhibit the legal procurement of whether it be plant medicine or hard drugs or soft drugs, whatever you want to call it. And yet we have this total acceptance of alcohol, which has, you know, tons of, tons of health issues. And there's, you know, it's fun, man. I like to drink a little bit, but, but it's, it is, it, 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 I guess intellectually, I've, I have a tough time with it. I'm also a person that believes that everything should be legal. So like intellectually, I'm like, look, this, this doesn't make sense, right? Like what, who's to say one is worse than the other, right? Especially when you start looking at the data and the data says, hey, like, there's a ton of societal effects of alcohol, yet we totally make it legal and nobody questions it, right? Well, we're very good, so, again, in a Western society in having a punitive orientation to crime when we don't offer people rehabilitation, whether it's prison or with mental health issues or the relationship between those two things. 
there's a lack of orientation to actually healing at a root cause level because those are the drugs that mask those symptoms. Why would right. someone not want to drink or not want to punish themselves horribly? This is about the disconnection that we have from our spirituality as well. Like what would be the reason not to drink? And that's what these plant medicines can start to offer direct experience into. And the research on psilocybin alone is shocking. It's the very data point that had me turn my head ongoing and to this day, Roland Griffiths and the research that Jenna Johns Hopkins says 75% of people, and these are everyday people off the street who don't have any previous experience. They have one high dose of psilocybin with the right set and setting, meaning it's a inward journey, not a recreational outward journey. Um, and with the support of therapists uh, or guides, they say it is 75% uh, of people say it is one of the five most meaningful experiences of their lives. And the 25% that remain say it's the single defining mystical experience of their life. So wow. my mind that has to know everything, my Jewish mind was like, well, what the heck is going on in there? And Michael Pollan even says, it's kind of seemed like it was too good to be true. Like this is a panacea, like a unified field theory of mental illness. Like one thing can cure everything. And then he's like, but it, it kind of is. And how strange that you go in to something that is a metaphysical or a subjective experience that doesn't like Ritalin or SSRIs, like pull the levers on any neurotransmitters in your brain. You experience something that's subjective and then healing happens downstream from that on the physical level. Like smoking quits mm. you. Alcoholism quits you. I had one right. friend who was like, he had an LSD journey. And long story short, he was smoking a pack a day at the time. He took out a cigarette, put it in his mouth and went to light it. This is on LSD. And the cigarette went into the future and visually curved back onto his own temple. And he said he saw that he was killing himself in that moment. And he literally never smoked again. Not a single wow. cigarette. That's crazy. So that's kind of a visual illustration of it. But this, the science is also saying things that seem to be superlative. Like 80% smoking cessation with three cognitive behavioral sessions and three you know, moderate doses of psilocybin. And of course, we need to be careful. The science is still being done. Some very good companies, MAPS and Compass Pathways is doing research, Simon, um, to affirm. We don't want to get overzealous about the results because it's not just about, I mean, that would be the irony of, of what's going on is trying to commoditize plant medicine and make it like a pill you can take and then go home. Like that's not the point either. I think there's a much bigger invitation that this medicine is inviting, inviting us into. And so long as we're going to someone else to be treated mm -hmm. or be healed, we're still not getting to the place where we're tapping into our own capacity to heal ourselves, to treat ourselves. And even to have a spiritual experience temporarily, when does that translate actually to getting on the spiritual path? And I think that's what this medicine is inviting us into an actual commitment like we do with leadership coaching to the path of actual leadership development. 
That's why I do what I do with Palaistra. I don't like event-based trainings that start and stop. So my offering for awakening leadership is somewhat the same. I don't like spiritual tourism where you take a pill and you're all better. You're not going to go to Costa Rica for five nights and get enlightened. However, you will have, it's very likely that you will have some kind of a mystical experience that can heal you and help you self-actualize and grow as a leader. But you need, it's almost like absorbing vitamins that you take. You need to integrate the experience. And that, even that can't be an event that starts and stops. Again, you need, you need to make it a practice like in a martial art. So when will spiritual experiences give way to spiritual awakening, to the spiritual path? Don't people want to know like the meaning, what the meaning of their life is? Yeah. Or do they want to wait yeah. till the end and again, sell their business and go, what was the point of that? Yeah. And, and whether you're selling a business or just really wanting to like level up, you know, like, like again, the name of the show is the greatness machines, people creating greatness in the world and greatness has, you know, it's a subjective definition, but my belief, it, if you said, Darius, what do you believe greatness is? Greatness is doing what you were meant to be brought on this earth to do and doing it well and doing it loud and doing it unapologetically. And that is my definition of self-actualizing, you know? So when you start, so what better way to do that if you can, you know, whether you're using the tools of a leadership development or leadership development coaching or doing it even in a mystical way, like you're describing. So I love the work you're doing, man. I mean, I think that we see you so eye to eye on, on this and this is cutting edge stuff, you know, it's old, which is hilarious. Cause it's not mm -hmm. that it's not, it's not, there's like, what this is like some of the oldest stuff in the world that people we, are we call it the ancient future. <laughs> yeah. It's the ancient technology that's like come, you know, coming back strong. Um, what, like I, I know that we we ran over a little bit here, but I, I'd love for you to kind of give an overview of what does this look like for people that want to you know, learn more about awakening leadership, you know, maybe get involved with the program. I know you're putting together a really interesting, you know, it, it's really a, a, a program, if you will, multiple weeks of work going to Costa Rica to do have a mystical experience at the end of it. And then a reintegration. Talk us through what that looks like uh, for those that are interested to learn more. Yeah. So we are offering two forums right now and we're launching them in October. So there'll be three months of prep work to kind of earn the right to go on the journey. Five nights in Costa Rica at a beautiful like Esalen in the jungle down there called Imaloa Institute. If you go to awakeningleadership.org, you can see some of the videos of just how stunningly beautiful it is there. Really heart-centered staff and high quality food. They have 200 year old Balinese homes that they reassembled on the cliff face with ocean views. So um, there's quite a range of accommodations there. And then yes, we are going to integrate the spirit, the experience afterwards for another three months. And I think, again, I'm redefining the term integration because leaders know that integration continues beyond them. So it was designed in a way like that's the first step. If you just want to go on the journey, that's fine. But it is a forum membership. So if you re-up in your membership, then you're part of an intact group. That's going to be your journey forum ongoing. And it ends up putting you into a biannual rhythm for retreat. And um, also, if you're part of an intact forum, you know, let me know and we can do something for your whole forum together. It can be a way to go deeper with your existing forum. 
And, uh, and then, then my work with Polystra is also part to be meant to be part of the integration. So if you want to go deeper in your own work, you can continue with the coaching in plant medicine. Um, or if you really want to integrate this into your company and lead a more conscious core value driven business, then that's what we're here to do. Um, I hope that people who have a mystical experience would be more conscious as a leader when they go back to work and lead a more high-performing team as a result of transforming as a leader and create a better place to work where there's continuous learning and development and growth. Uh, and that's what we do. We really help um, create you know, a team of coaches in a way where they're more high-performing because everyone's at the next level that way. And then really scale leadership and coaching and core values through the whole company. And that's, again, very much based upon my background as someone who grew up in a sangha, a meditation community, and in the dojo. So it's very much that feeling of camaraderie and iron sharpens iron and you know, the path that continues indefinitely. And I love the work you're doing, Nathaniel. You're, you're such a badass. <laughs> I mean, you. it's really cool. It's really cool. And, and I mean, just like, obviously, you know, we've talked a lot offline about the work with awakening leadership, but, but the work you're doing with Palaistra, the conscious leadership work, I mean, you really are going in and changing organizations and really helping leaders level up and, and, and to see this other offering that is, you know, it's more spiritual, maybe a little deeper, a little more exotic for people that, that, are, that want that, you know, that's, that's even, that's even more impactful, man. So I'm so excited for that work. And, and for those that are interested in learning more about that, we're going to put, put everything in the show notes, but, but where can people um, connect with you or learn more about either Palaistra or uh, around the Awakening Leadership's uh, work you're doing? Yeah, awakeningleadership.org for that offering. Um, the Palaistra, P-A-L-A-E-S-T-R-A.com for our in-house coaching offerings. Um, and I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn and all the usual suspects there. And um, I'm, we'll have to uh, talk about God on our next episode. I know. Shit. I didn't get to tell you about how I get to hang out with God every day. I've been hanging out with God every morning during my meditation. Um, <laughs> Till next time. But hey, Nathaniel, thank you so much, my brother. Thank much you, brother. I really you. appreciate you and what you're doing. Yeah. And congrats on the success. I think it's like... Uh, 100x in the last year or certainly two so so glad it's getting out to the world and people will be able to tune in with you thank you yeah as my as my friend don depani says where your attention goes your energy flows so a lot, lot of attention energy going to the podcast <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, with that said uh everyone thank you so much for listening uh, if you love the, the show share it with your friends uh this is how people learn and this is how we can help our friends is by spreading the word when, when we learn something new. And if you love the show, give us a thumbs up, give us a review. Appreciate you so much. Peace out. We love you. You are listening to the greatness machine and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on. So that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode, you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. 
And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.